Welcome, everyone, to Mystery, a podcast about myths and history. I am one of your hosts, Bryant, here for a Podicus Magnus episode, which means Peter is here. Hello, Peter. Hello. And, of course, my permanent guest, Cammie. Hello, Cammie. Hello, all. Oh, I thought you were gone, Cammie. That was a really long pause. She just walked out. <laughs> yeah, she's done. Um, so, everyone, this is Mystery. Uh, every week we'll pull a myth or historical tale. We'll rip it out to you, and then we'll kind of discuss some of it behind some of the uh, the facts behind it. Well, facts, the things that I found on the internet. Um, <laughs> so, and this is a Podicus Magnus episode, which means uh, that instead of it just being me and Cami, uh, we've got our very special guest Peter here, and uh, we are. Thankfully, not thankfully, it's okay to talk about Greek stuff. I was going to say we're thankfully moving away from Greek stuff for this episode, but um, are we? <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit of Greek. That's true. That's true. Um, one, one third Greek. Right. Yeah. No. So today we're going to dive in. I had an idea, so I'm going to just steal all the credit for it because um, it was my idea alone to talk about <laughs> uh, automatons. Because that word is so much fun to say. And I think that it has been responded well by my co-guests here. Co-guests. Oh, man. I just demoted both of you, I think. Just my guests. My, my <laughs> permanent guests. So, Peter. show. Yeah, right, I know. Yeah. Well, well, Brian, what is an automaton for, for the uninitiated? I know. Well. Gosh, now I, that's what we were kind of talking about because you're going to go into a unique way into it. But uh, an autom automaton, um, it's it's a well, it's an old Greek word that kind of means to uh, it means acting of one's own will, um, and it refers to typically like a mechanical object that can move essentially on its own. Or uh, unassisted, or you know, without having a, a person directly um, move it. Mm -hmm. So, um, I, 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 like, I'll kind of get into it in my little part. But automatons are, are kind of called the predecessor to a robot, a modern day robot. Right. Uh, but you have an interesting take on it. Um, why don't you tell yes. us? Well, I was a little conflicted about choosing my subject because I wasn't sure if it was an automaton or not. Um, but I think in on reflection that it may be kind of the proto automaton. Uh, I'm going to be talking about uh, the golem from from Jewish folklore, um, particularly the golem of Prague. Not to be confused with Gollum. No, not took the one ring. And right. Yeah, two different people, different That's spellings. That's what you guys were talking about. I yes. did not get that earlier. <laughs> I, I have been seeing <laughs> Gollum no, all like week, and, and my, my daughter stopped me and corrected me today. It's like, Father, it's Golem. Actually, oh, that's in, funny. In Yiddish, I believe it's Golem, but um, I, uh, I, I'm going to stick with Golem today. No, that's cool. Yeah, Gollum is spelled distinctively differently, but it's funny when you look up Golem on Wikipedia – It'll be like, did you mean Gollum? Mm -hmm. So is it that much more popular? The word? No, I think it's the mistake people make. Oh, I, okay. I think that they yeah, you're googling it and you're like, oh, what was that little dude from Lord of the Rings name? And you'll type in Gollum. 
because you heard of Golem from Pokemon or something, and that pops up. So they're like, we got you. Yes, I did run across a lot of images of the, the Pokemon in my yeah. research. <laughs> Which has little to do with it, anyway. Uh, it's like, it's an animal. Anyway. Well, Peter, please uh, enrich our lives with your story of the Golem of Prague. I am so excited to share this with you guys. So there are lots of versions of this of this story, um, and I've borrowed from several of them. Honestly, the, 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 my favorite telling of this story came from a a uh, the tourism bureau the tourism bureau uh, of the city of Prague uh, were, were very proud of the story and uh, mm. they had a, they had a really nice summary so I'm, I'm, that was kind of my inspiration for this but a lot of this is 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 um is from me so um, I had a lot of fun writing this and I hope you all like it too and here we go along the banks of the river Voltava. The city of Prague sparkles like the finest jewel in all of Bohemia. The city's golded fa- gold, gilded facades radiate like a captured sun that not even the darkest night can dampen. Great spires seem to sprout from the castle and the cathedrals in a race towards the very heavens. It is the year of our Lord 1600, and Prague is the capital of the Holy Roman Empire. Rudolf II sits on the throne and he has ushered in a golden age of religious tolerance, scientific curiosity, and the patronage of the arts. Having been expelled from the city in 1561, the Jewish community has returned to Prague and rebuilt their neighborhood in the north of the city by the Great Bend in the River Voltava. But all is not well. It is no secret that Emperor Rudolf dabbles in the occult sciences. The astrologer Nostradamus has been invited to court and has written a horoscope for the king. Rudolf practices alchemy and has spared no expense in his pursuit of the Philosopher's Stone. And the the astronomer Tycho Brahe has brought his infernal telescopes to court and pointed their lenses at the very face of God. An air of suspicion and paranoia has settled over the city, and many of its citizens believe its source lies in the Jewish quarter. Their strange language and customs make the Jews an easy target, and rumors abound of unspeakable crimes happening in their part of the city. At night, vigilante mobs roam the streets of the Jewish quarter, burning homes and beating any Jews they deem suspicious. The city guard has even refused to patrol the Jewish quarter, leaving its residents dangerously exposed. The streets of the Jewish quarter are dark. The streets of the Jewish quarter are dark. Even the oil lamps outside the new synagogue have been extinguished. People are afraid to burn candles at night in case it might attract some roving mob. But there is one light still burning. In his tiny apartment by the synagogue, Rabbi Lowe squints through candlelight at an old, well-thumbed book. Surely there must be some way to protect his people. Perhaps the Kabbalah, a collection of ancient Jewish mysticism, will hold the answer. He discovers instructions for bringing a, a clay figure to life, just as God molded Adam from the soil. Perhaps Rabbi Lowe could build such a champion to defend the Jews of Prague. The next day, Rabbi Lowe brings a cart to the shores of the river and fills the cart with clay from the riverbank. 
Back in his tiny apartment, the rabbi begins forming the clay into the shape of a man. The rabbi is no artist, and the figure takes on a crude, rough shape. Its shoulders are broad, its head dome-shaped, its legs are as thick as tree trunks, and its hands resemble the mittens worn by children on cold winter days. The rabbi presses his thumbs into the thing's face to make two eyes and adores them with some bits of old crystal he found in a drawer. Finally, the rabbi presses wooden letters into the thing's brow. The letters spell out emet, the word for truth. When this word is spoken, the great clay figure should come to life. The rabbi names the clay figure golem, meaning formless one. The time has come to test this bizarre creation. Emmet, says the rabbi, but nothing happens. Flustered, the rabbi returns to his books. Perhaps he has missed some crucial step. He reads late into the night, but finally it is time to go to bed. His candle extinguished, Rabbi Lowe makes his way through the darkness to his waiting bed. But he notices the room is strangely illuminated. He looks down at the floor and notices the golem's eyes are glowing faintly. Rise, says the rabbi. Like a hinge, the golem sits up. The floorboards groan as it stands to its full height. Its head nearly touches, touches the ceiling. It is a cold night, and a fire would be nice. Bring firewood, says the rabbi. The golem silently obeys, lumbering straight through the front door and tearing it from its hinges. Hmm. The rabbi's cart stands in the street, and the golem makes right for it, smashing it into kindling with its mighty arms. Horrified, the rabbi rushes to the golem's side. He can just barely reach the letters on the golem's head. He removes the first e, the letter E. Met, shouts the rabbi, and the golem stops dead. The golem works, but the rabbi must be more careful with the instructions he gives to the creature. In the weeks that follow, the rabbi becomes more confident in commanding the golem. During the day, he orders the golem to fetch water and pull heavy carts, and at night, the golem patrols the streets. The children, initially frightened of the creature, have grown to love their silent sentinel. They climb onto its broad shoulders and put crowns of flowers on its head. Rabbi Lowe begins to notice that the golem is growing. It's as if every day the golem absorbs the dirt from the street and dust in the air and makes them part of itself. Worried that the golem may grow too large to control, the rabbi wraps wide straps of leather around the golem's limbs and places a great collar of iron around its neck to stop the golem from growing. He also allows the golem to rest on the Sabbath. On the Sabbath, the rabbi directs the golem to a shaded courtyard, where he removes the letter E from its forehead and speaks the word met, the word for death. On these days of rest, the golem receives a secret visitor. The rabbi's neighbor, a young woman named Sarah, has become curious about the mysterious creature. Sarah is dazzled by the displays of public art throughout the city and longs to become a sculptor, but her family has forbidden it. She is drawn to the golem's crude form as a master sculptor is drawn to a block of the finest marble. In secret, she begins reforming and improving the creature. First, she transforms his rough mitts into strong, articulate fingers. 
its legs like ruddy cylinders she sculpts into athletic calves and powerful thighs finally the golem's head literally a great lump of clay she molds into a fine strong face with a firm brow a broad nose and sharp cheekbones once once she finishes sculpting the golem's lips sarah gives the creature a playful kiss it may be some trick of the light but sarah seems to notice a soft glow emanating from the golem's crystal eyes but this is impossible the letter e that will bring the golem to life is safe in the pocket of rabbi low the streets of the jewish quarter have been made safe again outsiders fearful of the golem no longer make trouble for the jews but word of the golem has reached the palace what was this strange power that could bring a clay figure to life Perhaps the rabbi might be harboring other secrets, like the formulas of alchemy. Emperor Rudolph dispatches a battalion of troops to capture Rabbi Lowe and his golem and bring them back to the palace. It is a cold afternoon, and Rabbi Lowe is helping lay the foundations of a new synagogue. He commands the golem to drive wooden piers into the hard ground. Suddenly, he is alerted to a great commotion. A noisy crowd has gathered around them, and over their heads, the rabbi sees a column of troops advancing down the street. It is clear that the soldiers are there for the golem. The troops carry long pikes and coils of thick rope. The mounted cavalrymen have unsheathed their curved sabers, and a web of nets dangle from their saddles. Rabbi Lowe is a peaceful man and plans to surrender without resistance, but the crowd is unruly. Protective of their silent champion and emboldened by his enormous strength, the crowd forms a wall between the golem and the advancing soldiers. Sarah is among them, and the golem pauses in its work and turns its glowing eyes to look at her. The crowd has begun clashing with the soldiers, and they call out to the rabbi to send the golem to their aid. The rabbi orders the golem to stop, which it does. It stares mutely at the crowd as the rabbi fetches a ladder to climb up and remove the E from the golem's forehead. But suddenly, a scream splits the cold tension in the air. A cavalry horse, frightened by the pressing crowd, rears back nearly bucking off its rider. It flails its front hooves, freshly shooed in gleaming steel. It kicks wildly, striking down Sarah, who's become entangled in the crowd. In an instant, the golem begins purposely, begins moving purposely toward the fallen woman. The ladder clatters to the ground, pinning Rabbi Lowe beneath it. The crowd parts as the golem makes its way to Sarah, now surrounded by a circle of wailing women. As it bends over her fragile body, the soldiers surround the creature, throwing ropes across its wide back and shoulders. The wild horse that struck down Sarah has retreated to the rear of the advancing ranks of infantry. The golem slowly rises and wades into the rows of soldiers, dragging armored men behind it as if they weighed nothing. Soldiers plung, plunge their spears into the golem, where they protrude like the quills of a porcupine, before being absorbed into the golem's clay form. With every step and every attack, the golem grows larger. 
the leather straps and iron collar designed to contain the golem burst apart as he walks slowly but unceasingly. Fallen soldiers are pulverized beneath its feet. It gathers three men in a great bear hug and crushes them against its broad chest. The commander sounds the retreat and the soldiers turn and run in a disorderly mass away from the advancing golem. They may be able to outrun it, but they know in their hearts that the creature will never stop until every one of them is dead. The golem is now as tall as a house, and although its steps are slow, its strides are enormous. It will reach the boundary of the Jewish quarter any minute, and God knows what destruction he would cause if he let loose in the great city. There may be one final chance to stop it. Ahead of the golem's path, a footbridge spans the street connecting two warehouses, and it is there that Rabbi Lowe runs as fast as his old legs can manage. Positioning himself on the bridge, the rabbi can see that the golem will pass directly under him. Lying on his belly, the rabbi reaches out dangerously as the golem passes beneath him. His hands close around the letter E. Met, he cries, and the golem freezes in mid-stride. Its forward momentum causes the creature to teeter and crash into the warehouse, shaking the footbridge and nearly throwing Rabbi low to the ground. The rabbi looks down at the motionless golem. Its gleaming skin is now stained with blood and covered with saber cuts. He looks back at the golem's destructive path and vows never to use its power again. No man should ever use such power. What would happen, he thinks, if others learned the secrets of the golem? Would the king not build an army of golems to carry out his wars? Rabbi Lo resolves to destroy his mystical books and hide the golem away. Before the soldiers return, the Jews must dispose of the golem. Using great saws, they remove its enormous limbs and cart them away. The pieces of the golem are hidden away in the attic of the new synagogue, and they are said to lay there still, awaiting the day when it might be needed again to defeat, to defend the Jews of Prague. Wow. That was, a. Uh... So... That was great. Yeah, it was really good. Um, so how much of that was like kind of based in, um, and your actual reading and how much? I mean, I know you said like it was loosely based. Um, I mean, I would say, I mean, like the the plot of the story is quite short. Like, I didn't read. There are like long versions of this story, but I did not consult them. I okay. so I I basically took okay. like a, a brief summary and I just kind of ran with it. Yeah, that was great. That's really cool. I liked it. Thanks. Come on, Rabbi Lowe. He needs. To, I, I'm surprised. And Rabbi Lowe, I believe, <laughs> was a was a real person. So so Emperor Rudolf the uh, second and Rabbi Lowe were were real people. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, I invented Sarah, and I you know, <laughs> and a lot. No, of I events. liked I liked her glow up that she gave him the golem. That was great. I was like. I could totally see. I, I I totally get what you mean. We we were briefly talking about this before about how this is like a precursor to like Robocop Terminator. Like <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Um I even thought of I, I did you um Peter, did you see the latest uh Spider Man movie um far or far from home? Yes. 
Do you, do you remember when he he's fighting the fire elemental and it's absorbing the all the metal and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger? Yeah, yeah, that's what that's what I was thinking of. Like when oh, the soldiers cool. were stabbing it. Yeah, I, that's what I was thinking of. Was that I'm sure that there's some sort of illusion there too. This was so fun to write. Like it really like as as I was writing it, like more stuff came to me. I was like, oh, like I could have gone. This is a long. It's probably the longest piece I've written for the podcast, but I I could have been much longer. I had to really. Uh, sure. stop, my, stop myself from overriding. No, <laughs> uh, it was fun. That was really great. Um, well, that was an excellent primer into everything. Um, Cammy, I know you're going into something uh, that uh, my research did specifically mention, um, and that is tell us. Did you say tell us or tell yes. us? <laughs> tell us about tell us. See, there we go. <laughs> yeah, so. I got my information from the Arnautica by Apollonius uh, Rhodius. Great guy. And yeah, and it's basically um, the story of Jason and the Argonauts. And I picked up just particularly this the story of Talus, but I figured I'd kind of prime it with we're we are talking about Jason and the Argonauts with this. Um, but yeah, Jason and his band of heroes on the Argo have just received the Golden Fleece and are on their way back to Icolus, via Crete. When they sail towards the nearing shore, a giant made of bronze begins tossing huge stones at the ship. He towered over the cliffs where he would retrieve the rock by breaking off the cliff face. Talos, created by the great Hephaestus, given to Europa by Kronos to protect Crete. This gleamy marble trod the shores three times a day, always ready to defend his home. Though he was a mammoth of bronze, he also, or he had one design which made him mortal: a single vein which carried in it all that gives humans passion for their homeland, the instinct to protect and to defend and to have malice. Every sense a mortal possesses in one blood-red path from his ankle to his head. The Argo's crew retreated from the deadly rocks to form a plan. It was Medea who spoke first. I can bring you safe passage, but you must not engage with engage you must not engage him with your weapons. The place we must strike is too small. The Argo sailed out of the stone's range while the woman summoned her power. With it, spirits of, of death hungry for loss, and Hades' dogs, swift of foot, came from Gaia herself. Three times she prayed to the ancient ones. Three times she sang their summoning song. Then she locked eyes with a towering man, much more a man now in her gaze, for that scarlet vein which hid behind his thin ankle flesh carried with it desire and fear and longing. Her teeth began to chatter like a cat singing back his bewitching song to a bird and from her sound phantom beasts were summoned too. Talos did the only action expected of him. He tore the cliff face and flung mighty rocks at his foes. But in his fearful state, a frenzy came over him. He worked swiftly, but one of the jagged rocks that he had torn grazed his ankle in the confusion as he dropped it. His life burst from that one weak spot onto the ground beneath him. For moments he stood swaying, then he fell like a mighty oak to the sand, to the sand below him. 
The giant was slaughtered, but no safety came from it, for all of Hades had risen to the earth. Jason pleaded to Apollo to save his ship and crew. Through his tears, Jason saw the gleaming bow of Apollo. The sky cleared, and a golden light led the way to safety. And though the island where they landed was barren, they sacrificed all they could to their savior. And that's the story of Talos' death. <laughs> can can a, can an automaton die? Is is the that's golem the dead, or is it just deactivated? If I put my if Cammy, is your old iPad too dead, or is it just inactive? <laughs> the cat these are the with it occasionally. <laughs> these are the questions of automata. <laughs> you know, great, that was great, Cammy. I I never um I never really heard of Talos other than being like the an artificial you know being before. So that was a nice little way into it. I appreciate that. So this is this is a really interesting subject because it's it's sort of like deceptively simple. And it, it kind of nice because it's it's pretty straightforward. Now I'm I'll I'll quiz you guys. Where do you think the first who who do you think used the word first? Ancient the French. No. <laughs> Close. Use the word I, the, automaton? Yeah. I don't know. Mm. It's it's how uh, like the actu actual word automaton or yeah the oldest okay. like reference to the word being used in the Greek style so like you know it's it's it means acting of one's own one one's own will. Hmm. Do you have any ideas? The going 1600s. Once? No, even way, but we're BCE. Oh wow! Yeah, wow, Homer. That's crazy. It was oh, Homer wow. in the Iliad. Um, to use it first in this way, and he was describing um, the auto an automatic door opening um, and the automatic movement of wheeled tripods. So he was sort of the first one to talk about a, a device that moved on its own, essentially, hmm. and that's sort of like the beginnings of it. Now it goes a little further um, or a, a closer, I should say down the timeline um, into the third century BCE is when it kind of comes back up. But obviously, so like Hephaestus, there's references of him having automata and, you know, these stories go beyond time mm -hmm. um, from what we know, of course, but there, uh, the, the, the next big one, it's called um, Architas's dove. Uh, of 350 BC, um, and that's Architas of Tarentum. He was a friend of Plato. Um, who isn't a friend of Plato? Uh, and this dove, it was like a wooden pigeon. There, there's writings of it that were found um, in like the medieval period, basically, that, or they resurged in the medieval period um, and were, were used. But anyway, it was like a, a, a dove that would move on its own thanks mm. to compressed air. That was like its trick. So I thought that was really interesting. But um, yeah, so the, the automaton is a Greek word and its its beginnings are Greek for sure. But yeah, Homer is sort of the one that we can kind of credit for having the, the primary source of using that word, which is really cool because it's just interesting to trace it like that into the Iliad. Um, and then it kind of bounces around a little bit. We can hear, like I said, uh, Architas, Plato's time, there's designs and these things that kind of came from, and those designs um, actually resurged in the ninth century. The Islamic world was, you know, in its golden age of mathematics and everything. And there was um, 
this guy Al Jazari, he was someone who made a lot of these things. And also um, going into the Renaissance period, uh, Arabic scripts of, of old Greek writings were translated um, into the modern languages of Europe and from ancient Greek to Arabic and so on. So uh, it was cool. It kind of made a resurgence after being gone for so long. But um, yeah, it, like uh, automatons, they, they uh, funny enough to independently in China in the third century um, BCE, there were some references as well, but they it didn't come back until the sixth century CE um, that we have these uh, records of like flying birds um, and other things that kind of moved on their own. It was all basically animals and things like that. Uh, but then in China, it, it completely broke out before the Renaissance period. It really only continued into medieval Europe and the Renaissance, um, and it got really popular in the 16th century. That's when we had some really crazy designs. There were these special paintings that were made um, that would kind of like move on their own. There were these little like pictures that would move on their own. Oh, mm-hmm. that is so neat. Yeah. Um, and some of those like elaborate, elaborate like clocks around Europe. That- yeah. And that's, that is another, yeah. Like, I mean, a clock is essentially an a- a- automaton as well. I thought of it that way, but yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I'll, I'll, I forgot to precede with my store, my sources. So I'll kind of do it as I go through, but there was, there's a lot of, when I was researching it, it was really interesting because a lot of websites like that you wouldn't expect to kind of talk about this stuff did. And it was actually really frustrating because a lot of crappy websites that like have nothing but ads, um, had their own little thing, but there was a website called complete compare the cloud.net, which is like a, a networking site. Um, it talks about AI and tech, future tech and stuff like that. And in their whole article and what a lot of these other articles, um, though this one was less spammy, uh, talk about it. this is the the predecessor to the robot, basically. And it it's really interesting. Uh, they would typically talk about like Leonardo da Vinci's mechanical designs. Um, obviously, he was you know toiling around with a bunch of stuff. Um, so it, it's but it's really interesting because they're, they're the two periods they kind of focus on are the ancient Greeks um, and the sort of the Renaissance going into the 17th, uh, 16th and 18th centuries. That's where it really, really kind of went up again. I think it's once those gr- ancient Greek texts made their way through the Arabic lands and then were retranslated, all these guys were like, whoa, we can do that. So, um, oh, I forgot to mention too, there was another old Greek adventure, um, Ketesi, Oh, Ketesabios. He was actually from 285, so a little BCE, so a little bit after the the Architas's, um dove. But he had like water powered automata, mm-hmm. and um, he had an extremely accurate water clock that would be like considered one of the most accurate clocks for like uh, 2,000 words a- years after he actually made it too. So yeah, like there there's a a lot of these periods where automata kind of dip in and out, but it wasn't until kind of post medieval Europe was when it's called sort of the golden age. Um, there's a really famous one the, from the 16th century. Uh, it's this mechanical monk and it's, it has like Iberian Spanish origins and it's just this little monk that moves on his own. And in the 1730s, this French inventor Jacques de Vacanson. Uh, hey, yeah, he made a, well done. <laughs> I know he made a really fun one called the digesting duck and it would, um, like flap its wings and even it would like eat 
you could feed it grain and it would poop out a, a little i used to have one of those yeah, yeah <laughs> that's that's what i yeah it's like so a little chicken or it something would, it was a it, bird yeah it, it would, would eat, eat grain and it would this one would poop out little um preloaded pellets so but I, yeah I, i've like, seen a diagram of that it's fascinating mine, yeah mine would eat um it was magnetized Right. And yeah. mine would eat the magnets were pellets and it would eat the magnet. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then you had to like take them out. And then... Right. And that's like, so like what we kind of consider like a pretty straightforward kids toy today was like crazy, awesome automata, oh, you know, crazy awesome <laughs> in the 80s as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, now I don't have a, a, a date. Uh, I, I guess it's kind of, I mean, ancient, uh, there, there was a, um, kind of going to connecting to the golem a little bit there's an ancient jewish legend um solomon uh used his wisdom to design a throne with mechanical animals so he would have a golden ox and a golden lion that would like move on their own and support him as he got up um so but like funny enough when when peter told me that you were doing the golem i i it it didn't innately come up like it's like there's like the research that i have never talked about people made of clay or or i think the distinct thing is it's like humanity so like that's like those sort of like things that were made human were never discussed in a way yeah. and i know that's, I that's I, the big that's the big distinction i mean like you know both right. Tammy and Kimmy and my stories are about like like human figures brought to life mm-hmm. through magic mostly and like what you're talking about like historical automatons like people are doing you know clocks and animals right. but there's not there's not a lot of human uh figures and i think that's really interesting yeah like so, uh, there's the there's the the monk and even in china too they would have like like um uh funny monk like uh, there are lots of monks <laughs> being mm-hmm. like in a funny way doing doing funny things but yeah that's they they were there it was tools there's hellenistic uh early you know i it's called a computer like an analog computer these sort of things. So these fascinating mechanical devices that acted on their own. And then there was, uh, of course it, it like, it seemed like they were very practical in ancient times. I mean, other than just being marvelous feats, but yeah, it, it's, it's interesting. I, I, I would, I would thinking on it. I would definitely think of those stories as like automaton things. And, and my research did specifically mention Talos um, also Daedalus, um, he used mm-hmm. uh, Quicksilver to instill um, with voices into, into moving statues, and Pic- I, I, I had heard aliens. of yeah, um, King Alcanus. Um, have you guys heard of that? Yeah, this was one that I hadn't really heard of either. It's a, a Greek myth. Um, uh, this this king who uh, had employed gold and silver watchdogs. So we'll have to do a, our own episode about him. <laughs> <laughs> But it's mentioned; it's like connected to the Argonauts, the Odyssey, things like that. Apparently, so. But anyway, yeah. So there, there's definitely the the. It's just funny that my research sort of yielded like I, you know, w- Wikipedia, Britannica, um, even History.com had a fun little list of uh, these things, and they all mentioned. They they would mention Talos. They would mention these things, but yeah, never never Golem, never these things that were like almost. Um, had a weird level of sentience to them in a way. I don't know. So, and and I, I pro or I told you guys at the beginning that I could tie this to Byzantium. Well, I can. And in Lars Brownworth's book on the Normans, um, he talks about when um, a Norman, I can't remember if it was his name is probably Robert. They were all named Robert back then. 
Robert went to go visit the Byzantine emperor in the 10th century. And of course, like they, you know, would lavish you with gifts in the, the palace in Constantinople. And one of those things that you would see that was recorded being seen by the Normans, this Norman was a mechanical golden lion that would move when you would like touch a lever on it. So, that sounds so um, cute. I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's cool. There's like, I mean, automatons, I like, they're still here. They're all around us. Mm-hmm. It's just, they've, the, the word is different now. I like, I don't ask you like, where's your automaton? You know, like I, but <laughs> it's, it's called just, a Roomba. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, breathe life into your Roomba and see, but yeah, there's a fun history to the, the, like what's, you know, again, the, the predecessor to robots, but I, it, there's just a funny line between certain myths like that of the golem. And I'm sure there's countless other myths of the beings that maybe aren't human, but are, are, are inhabitant pieces of life that are, or, or earth that have life given to them. But it, it's, it's just funny, uh, a fun little thing. So that's well, Peter. Brought what's, up, um, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. You remember when you were like, I don't know which one to do. Um, and then we were talking about, the Arabian Nights, there's a mm-hmm. story of the city of brass and there's a lot of things that if you touch it or if you, you know, walk on a certain path and, and that kind of thing, like things will, will turn a, a certain way or. It was oh, like a living like city. Yeah. It's like a trap. Or, yeah. That's yeah. cool. That's really cool. I think what attracted me to the golem story is like it, you know, it references the creation of Adam, which I think is really fascinating that, you know, that God, you know, creates this man out of the earth essentially and breathes life into him. And what, you know, what's interesting, you know, there's some parallels between the Golem story and the Adam story is, and, and is this, you know, loss of control. Like you, you have this awesome power of being able to essentially create life, mm-hmm. but then, but then you can't control it. Like, you know, you know, God, you know, let Adam, play in the garden but you know then he ate the the from the tree of knowledge and he lost control of adam you know the same thing happened with the golem you know like he was designed for a certain job but kind of took on a life of its own and 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 they lost control and i think we see that theme again and again you know a, a lot of the the real world automatons like the historic ones that you're talking about they're they're simple machines that you can control, but yeah. you know, but there's always this kind of horror, this kind of fear that you're going to create something that you can't that you can't control. And I think yeah. we we see that again and again in you know Frankenstein's monster and um, Terminator. You know all these. You know we we have this ability to create these amazing machines, um, but what happens when we we lose control? And I think it's, that's, yeah, it, it yeah, it's really interesting. Too, um, of today, like when, I mean, there's all these rules when you make AI that you have to follow. Mm-hmm. And we kind of set out those rules because of human fears of what, you know, what if the AI can then sure. control itself? Yeah, and yeah, the rules and stuff. We don't have control yeah. over it anymore. Yeah. yeah. I mean, well, apparently it, that's been a long held fear of humans. Right. Well, I, I, like I, um, what kind of inspired me into the idea was like in um in in games like the elder scrolls and stuff like that like uh, especially you know, the dwarves in in like 
ancient games, uh, base games are the race of engineers and craftsmen and stuff like that. And they would in, in games like Elder Scrolls, they, they, they made automatons. They, they, these, these gold and bronze and metal made beings that move on their own and attack. And they're, you know, like uh, they're like robots, basically like magic robots. Um, yeah yeah it's kind of stupid um i mean well shoot i mean peter's story just told us yeah they're hard to kill um (laughs) so uh it's it's taken a lot of different ways and i think that kind of like is what sort of separated it for me and i i it's just there's a ton of a ton of different ways that this can go the the not just the robotics this is like that's the tree the the top of the tree is robotics and automaton is just one little stem on that tree or vice versa even but it's really cool yeah, and I'm... it seems like um automatons are made for like a specific thing like a clock tells time and it doesn't do much else sure Whereas yeah the robots like have like a bunch of different functions sure. that they can perform in more complicated yeah. functions yeah absolutely well that yeah this was a, a fun little dive um i'm glad it worked out better than uh i expected so <laughs> thanks so much guys <laughs> i really enjoyed such it, high yeah. hopes <laughs> yeah no i i just i knew this was kind of a shot in the dark but and and sometimes when i say something like let's write do automatons that's like a little too broad but you guys did a great job really picking a, a specific subject so i'm really pleased with how uh this went out and i've learned a lot so yeah, I had fun. Um, I was a little worried at first that I wasn't going to find anything or be interested in what I found. You know? And then, and then ancient Greece, cool. ding, ding, yeah. ding. <laughs> right, yeah. No, that's great. Yeah, there's something familiar, I think, on both ends um, for your guys' stories. So, like, uh, uh, the the like the nature of it all is much closer or rela- relative to other things than you might think. It, it it's it's just it's weird like the whole time i was reading all this stuff i was like oh huh you know i mean it, it, it's just great so well guys uh i think that just about does it uh unless someone's got something to add but thanks again so much for your stories that was really great well, thanks thank for you. having me yeah thanks for coming up with the topic yeah no don't worry i'll <laughs> I, any any excuse to mention byzantium and i'll find a way yeah i would i would not have chosen this topic either but i i really enjoyed it so thank you yeah, excellent. Well, uh, everyone, thanks for listening to another episode of Mystery. I, I meant to mention at the beginning too. Obviously, we're we're still doing a remote recording. Uh, thanks to the end of the world, um, we'll try to <laughs> we'll try to get back to uh, live, not remote recording whenever we can. But hopefully, this is still working out for you. So let us know what you think. Uh, join us on our Facebook group, Mystery with an I E. Um, you can also hit us up at mystery at gmail.com. So thank you, Peter. Thank you, Cammy. I'll see you guys next time.